Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, and welcome to the latest in an occasional series of readings brought to you by the Times Literary Supplement. I'm Michael Keynes. This month, we've chosen a trio of tales from the early 20th century to mark the coming of Halloween, All Hallows' Eve, the time when the dead are said to walk abroad, witches gather for their Sabbath, filmmakers reach for their buckets of gore, Children knock on their neighbours' doors, threatening them with a trick if they don't surrender a treat, and writers feel ineluctably drawn to the darker side of their imaginations. Earlier this month, I was reminded of the enduring taste for such stories by the British Library's exhibition Terror and Wonder, a regular scream of a show, covering everything from Horace Warpole's seminal Gothic novel The Castle of Otranto, first published 250 years ago, to goth weekends in Whitby, as photographed by Martin Parr. The TLS, over the next couple of issues, will be entering into the same unholy spirit by covering the latest editions of classic horror stories, as well as reviewing Terror and Wonder itself. The first of our readings is a very short ghost story by one of the undisputed masters of the genre. There was a man dwelt by a churchyard, by M.R. James. As James explains immediately, his title is of Shakespearean origin, being a phrase taken from the second act of The Winter's Tale, when Mamilius, the son of Leontes and Hermione, remarks that a sad tale's best for winter, I have one, of sprites and goblins. James clearly agreed, and remarked elsewhere that this observation justifies all ghost stories and puts them in their proper place. It was first published in an Eton magazine called Snapdragon in 1924, as I learned from the excellent Oxford edition of James's stories, edited by Daryl Jones. The masterstroke of it, in my view, is that immediate assurance it gives that we're only talking about stories and that really anybody could tell this particular story. Well, Mamilius didn't live to, but M.R. James did. There was a man dwelt by a churchyard. 
This, you know, is the beginning of the story about sprites and goblins, which Mamilius, the best child in Shakespeare, was telling to his mother the queen and the court ladies when the king came in with his guards and hurried her off to prison. There is no more of the story. Mamilius died soon after without having a chance of finishing it. Now, what was it going to have been? Shakespeare knew, no doubt, and I will be bold to say that I do. It was not going to be a new story. It was to be one which you have most likely heard, and even told. Everybody may set it in what frame he likes best. This is mine. There was a man dwelt by a churchyard. His house had a lower story of stone and an upper one of timber. The front windows looked out on the street and the back ones on the churchyard. It had once belonged to the parish priest, but this was in Queen Elizabeth's days. The priest was a married man and wanted more room. Besides, his wife disliked seeing the churchyard at night out of her bedroom window. She said she saw... But never mind what she said. Anyhow, she gave her husband no peace till he agreed to move into a larger house in the village street. And the old one was taken by John Poole, who was a widower and lived there alone. He was an elderly man who kept very much to himself. And people said he was something of a miser. It was very likely true. He was morbid in other ways, certainly. In those days, it was common to bury people at night and by torchlight. And it was noticed that whenever a funeral was toward, John Poole was always at his window, either on the ground floor or upstairs, according as he could get the better view from one or the other. There came a night when an old woman was to be buried. She was fairly well-to-do, but she was not liked in the place. The usual thing was said of her that she was no Christian, and that on such nights as Midsummer Eve and All Hallows, she was not to be found in her house. She was red-eyed and dreadful to look at, and no beggar ever knocked at her door. Yet when she died, she left a purse of money to the church. There was no storm on the night of her burial. It was fair and calm. But there was some difficulty about getting bearers and men to carry the torches, in spite of the fact that she had left larger fees than common for such as did that work. She was buried in woollen, without a coffin. No one was there but those who were actually needed, and John Poole, watching from his window. Just before the grave was filled in, the parson stooped down and cast something upon the body, something that clinked, and in a low voice he said words that sounded like, Thy money perish with thee. Then he walked quickly away, and so did the other men, leaving only one torchbearer to light the sexton and his boy while they shoveled the earth in. They made no very neat job of it, and next day, which was a Sunday, the churchgoers were rather sharp with the sexton, saying it was the untidiest grave in the yard. And indeed, when he came to look at it himself, he thought it was worse than he had left it. Meanwhile, John Poole went about with a curious air, half exulting, as it were, and half nervous. More than once he spent an evening at the inn, which was clean contrary to his usual habit, and to those who fell into talk with him there, he hinted that he had come into a little bit of money and was looking out for a somewhat better house. Well, I don't wonder, said the smith one night. I shouldn't care for that place of yours. I should be fancying things all night. 
The landlord asked him what sort of things. Well, maybe somebody climbing up to the chamber window or the like of that, said the smith. I don't know. Old Mother Wilkins that was buried a week ago today. Come, I think you might consider of a person's feelings, said the landlord. It ain't so pleasant for Master Poole, is it now? Master Poole don't mind, said the smith. He's been there long enough to know. I only says it wouldn't be my choice. What with the passing bell and the torches when there's a burial, and all them graves laying so quiet when there's no one about. Only they say there's lights. Don't you never see no lights, Master Poole? No, I don't never see no lights, said Master Poole sulkily, and called for another drink, and went home late. That night, as he lay in his bed upstairs, a moaning wind began to play about the house, and he could not go to sleep. He got up and crossed the room to a little cupboard in the wall. He took out of it something that clinked and put it in the breast of his bedgown. Then he went to the window and looked out into the churchyard. Have you ever seen an old brass in a church with a figure of a person in a shroud? It is bunched together at the top of the head in a curious way. Something like that was sticking up out of the earth in a spot of the churchyard which John Poole knew very well. He darted into his bed and lay there very still indeed. Presently, something made a very faint rattling at the casement. With a dreadful reluctance, John Poole turned his eyes that way. Alas, between him and the moonlight was the black outline of the curious bunched head. Then there was a figure in the room. Dry earth rattled on the floor. A low, cracked voice said, Where is it? And steps went hither and thither, faltering steps as of one walking with difficulty. It could be seen now and again, peering into corners, stooping to look under chairs. Finally, it could be heard fumbling at the doors of the cupboard in the wall, throwing them open. There was a scratching of long nails on the empty shelves. The figure whipped round, stood for an instant at the side of the bed, raised its arms, and with a hoarse scream of, You've got it! At this point, H.R.H. Prince Mamilius, who would, I think, have made the story a good deal shorter than this, flung himself with a loud yell upon the youngest of the court ladies present, who responded with an equally piercing cry. He was instantly seized upon by H.M. Queen Hermione, who, repressing an inclination to laugh, shook and slapped him very severely. Much flushed and rather inclined to cry, he was about to be sent to bed. But on the intercession of his victim, who had now recovered from the shock, he was eventually permitted to remain until his usual hour for retiring, by which time he too had so far recovered as to assert, in bidding good night to the company, that he knew another story quite three times as dreadful as that one and would tell it on the first opportunity that offered. Read more about terror and wonder at the British Library in this week's TLS, which also contains Seamus Perry on Edmund Burke, a new poem by Stanley Moss, Catalan Nationalism, Britain's maddest country house parties and Hillary Clinton's memoirs. To find out more about the TLS and to read a free selection of pieces from this week's issue, go to our website, 
the-tls.co.uk. You can read the TLS in full every week in print or via our app, which is available on iTunes and in the Amazon App Store. The TLS, life in every word. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.